All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Fez is here. He is tanned. He has been uh, lounging. He's been living his best life this week. This is something that I guess, you know what, we'll talk about it here in a little bit. But Fezzik, welcome in. This is the Fezzik Focus Podcast. I am joined by the only two-time Super Contest champion. I hope no one ever else, I hope no one ever wins a second one because then it'll sound a lot worse if I can't say the only two-time. I won the South Point Contest twice also. <sighs> no one's done that. No one's especially doubled up on both. I did it in the, I actually did it in the same year. I had two entries. And there was a three-way tie for first. So just put a slight asterisk by it. But um, I, I got my picture in the paper for that. Did you know that? I did put, not know they, that. They, they, they put my picture like winner, like, and, and they had one guy win, you know, 62-5, and I won 125000 because I had two entries that won. Nice. Yes. All right. Uh, let's start with a Fez tale uh, off your vacation. We'll, we'll talk some old-school Vegas here. Might solve a mystery. Let's talk about the Bally Sportsbook. By the way, may it rest in peace. The Bally Sportsbook is no more. That stadium, you've been. Have you been in the Bally Sportsbook? I don't think I have. Well, it's no. too late now, baby. It was like a stadium seating where you would walk. It was really cool. You would. It's um. It's like deep in the bow in the bowels of Bally's, where if you um went into the main entrance of Bally's and then went down the escalator. And um, and walked into the, uh, you know, where all the shops are. There's a candy store there. And then you'd go down these, um, uh, not a flight of stairs, but like a ramp, like you would in a stadium. Stadium seating, it was really nice. And Bally's was a place that got pummeled by sports bettors. They had the worst results of all of the Harris properties. And here's the reason. Bally's had great parking. They had three parking spaces. This is before apps. This is like in the early 2000s. And there were three park spaces that said reserved for SBX. I don't know what SBX stood for, nor did any of my people I knew. But we it may as well have said reserved for Fez because <laughs> we would park there and we would run in and make our bets. And I was not alone because it's really hard to get into Caesars, to get into any of the other Harris properties such that all of the runners and all of the pro bettors would always bet at Bally's. So while all the other books were taking square action, Bally's was taking really sharp action and doing lousy against them, such it wasn't a surprise that routinely Bally's would say, horse race players only. Like, they'd make sure their horse players didn't get shut out. The horse players, even if they're betting $2, got to cut the line versus the $5,000 sports bettors because that's where Bally's made their money net versus the versus the sports bettors that were cleaning their clock. How long ago did their sports book close? Uh, just recently, just this year. Man, I've noticed this, like these sports books closing. And I know like, I, I know when I moved out here and I didn't realize that it happened until after I got here. But when I would come out to Vegas and visit, Probably my favorite place to go watch games was Legacy Stadium at Palazzo. Oh, it, it, and there's a very similar setup. They had the ramps in Legacy Stadium yeah, seating, they, yeah, couches, nice. uh, great food, giant tell. I mean, it was awesome. And COVID killed it. Like, yeah. It just never reopened after COVID. It's like just not profitable enough per square. I guess foot. that's it. So think about this: all the casinos in Vegas. You know what a sports book is? That's a loss leader. That is an area that is underperforming, but they're like, well, we got to have it. So It's an amenity. It's an amenity. And yet 
so here we have all these new sports books on the East Coast and the like, and they need to make all of their money from their sports books, the DraftKings, the FanDuel's, and the like. And the valuations are wildly optimistic, I believe. And maybe what's built in is the feeling of, well, eventually they'll get casino gambling that's allowed you know, right. on all of their apps, et cetera. Because right now, sports bettors, what, what the average slot player loses is so much more than what sports bettors lose. I mean, there's just no comparison. And no matter how you try to jury rig it to make more, it's never going to be you know, any, anywhere to the level of scale as to what the casino games are. Think about, you know, and most, like you said, it's an amenity at most places, but then there's places like Circa who have gone out of their way to make, like, feature their sports book. Like, hey, we want sports bettors here. How how does that model succeed long-term if you're saying it's a, a loss leader? Because it's a niche market. It's similar to how the Stardust used to be, and you could read the book uh, The Odds uh, by Chad Millman that documented Joe Lupo running the Stardust and how there's there's only enough room for a couple of operators that have that model that really emphasize the sports books. Obviously, the Westgate does it right now, and Circus Sports is doing it. But if every property did that, they, there just wouldn't be enough of um, of the pie to go around. But basically, they're taking Circus taking 25 percent of the pie and Westgate 15 percent or whatever it is. You know, so they're taking a big sliver, a big slice of the pie. So if you, if you are a sports lover and March Madness is going on and you're from Houston and you're coming out for the weekend, AJ, where are you staying? I'm probably staying at Circa. Of course. You see that stadium yeah. swimming. You know what? If you're not watching the games, the the rest of the pool area looks good to yeah. me. Yeah. Looks very not good. Not bad. Yes. Uh, McKenzie just put up here, DraftKings is worth $6 billion right now. March of 2021, it was worth $30 billion. You know, Maybe all, they're not that good at this. Well, you know what's interesting <laughs> is all these Wall Street dummies, their val- all their valuations of FanDuel, DraftKings, Barstool, is all based upon how many customers you got, how much is each, each customer worth, you know, uh, player acquisition is everything, and then obviously they're looking at advertising expenses. I've yet to hear one of these dummies, like, actually write up, it's like a hamburger chain. Does your, does your hamburger, do they taste good? You know, um, uh, can your odds maker set good lines? Nope. No, can't do it. I, I, no, that's that's not important, you know, in terms of the and the truth is, is that an, an area of opportunity for Barstool and DraftKings and books like that is, let's just say, to um, be better with their their lines making. Yeah. So, well, I, I There's think a it's a reason people are driving over the Hoover Dam. They live in Las Vegas, exactly. the betting capital of the world. And like, we got to get to Arizona because that's where the soft numbers are. Uh, let's talk about you. Like I said, you just came back from vacation and this is last week was a really common time for people in your line of work to go on vacation. Yeah. It's, it's just as a slam dunk. So MLB, uh, no games Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we bet the all-star game under, of course, um, especially when it's in twilight, but you've already got that three day head start. And so universally, this is the time everybody in the industry looks to take off. I still remember, you know, I was down in Laguna beach one year and, um, Oh, 
that looks just like Nick Bogdanovich, famed, you know, sports book director here uh, just walking down the street. You know why he looks like Nick Bogdanovich? Because it was. It Nick is Bogdanovich. Nick Bogdanovich. Says, wait a minute, Fez, where's my 25000 you beat me out of in the, in, the, uh, in the beat Bogdanovich contest years ago? His wife didn't look happy with me. But nevertheless, he was very Nick, – so Nick is a consummate professional, and uh, he was in Laguna Beach – as were we taking the trolley on the MLB week off. So you were just in the Bahamas. Is this like a, uh, was it a real unplug vacation? Or are you still making a couple bets here and there? Basically, I cede it to other people to take care of. You know, like I, I, say, I say, here's 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 what I wanted to play. Um, and I'm taking all my magazines with me and, and I'm going through and doing my, my heavy lifting with my football. Um, so... Um, on the flight, things like that. On the flight to and from, and also, you know, at the pool. So it, it really is a good opportunity to um, to unplug and look ahead towards football. How's your wife about these things? Like, are, is she like, hey, put the magazine down, spend some family time? How how uh, how much of a whip cracker is she? Oh no, she's fine. She's, yeah, she just said, hey, I do mean, the do the work. We're in the, you know what? We're in the Bahamas. Life is good. We're in the cove. Everything's good. Life is good. All right. Uh, well, the concern is you're back from vacation. You don't look fat. The question is, are you fat? I was stable. Okay. 205, Todd Wishnev. You don't even have to ask. He loses five pounds a week. Wow. You know why he loses five pounds a week? So he's at 240. So that sounds like an insurmountable lead, 240 versus 205. Well, we started out 280 and 230. So basically, every day, the gentleman I'm in this weight loss challenge with, and by the way, we both get the 180, it's a push. And I would say it's going to be a I'm certain it's going to be a push because both of us have so much willpower that that's, that's going to happen. And we already talked about once I get to 187, we're going to have one day, you're just going to cut the weight with me to knock me down oh, to yeah. that 180. No, no doubt. And then I just have to stay at 185, you know, going forward. Um, the I have to be able to weigh 185 each and every day. You know, um, the what Todd does, God bless him. He eats fifteen hundred calories a day, three meals a day, five hundred calories, and he he needs he twenty five hundred he'd stay level. So he he has a thousand dollar caloric deficiency, so he loses. Um, and he exercises with tennis like three hours a day, and so he burns like 1,500 calories. So he's at 2,500 and naked and afraid. They talk about like, you know, the, a, a calorie deficiency. He has mm-hmm. a 2,500 calorie deficiency, so he loses five-sevenths of a pound every day. I don't I, – I, listen, you never want to wish injury on someone, but do you ever kind of hope, man – wouldn't be the worst thing if he rolled his ankle playing tennis and had to sit out for a couple weeks. Yeah, I've spoken with him. He's it's like he's got three personal trainers. Like like you you recommended ice baths and the, mm. the like. This is like a, one of the steady staples: the stretching, the ice baths, and the like. So he's um, he's well on his way. You know what? He is the number one ranked uh, Pittsburgh um, recreational area tennis league player. He said, "I'm actually only the eighth best, but you get bonus points for volume." So that put him there. He says, I'm really only, you know, he says, I'm probably only going to get up to number four when I lose another 30 pounds. Although he did, this was a little scary. He said, I played like a top 100 division three woman's tennis player. And he said, quote, I destroyed her. Oh, Destro- and it didn't beat her, destroyed her. 
Hmm. Well, listen, I know there's a guy, you know, I hate to even say this, but there's like there was a Division One tennis player, I believe, um, Ben Wilson, who does a fine job. And he played Todd, year, I think, a few years ago and beat him 6-2, 6-2. Todd hasn't been playing tennis that often, all right? But he, but he really has gotten into it, and he's got the, this great slice backhand with all the spin on it. If I was Ben Wilson, I would be very concerned about the rematch and how this might go. Because if I was a Division One tennis player and I was about to get beaten by or, or taken to task by a guy that used to look like Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street, that wouldn't be a good look. And that is that is going to be a war. When Wishnev gets down below 200, Ben Wilson, I would, I would take this seriously. I'm going to give you two stories here, two AJ tales. Mm. They're both kind of embarrassing for me, but that's all right. One is about competing against Division One athletes, and one of my one of my good friends uh, in Austin played golf at mm-hmm. the University of Texas, and we played regularly together. I'm not a good golfer. My friends aren't good golfers. He was a good golfer, and he could get us on the course that that Texas played on the, the, the big, nice university of Texas course. Very windy. Cause I hear like uh, West Texas is more windy. Yeah. C- Central Texas is, I mean, it's hill country. You'll, mm. you'll catch some winds there. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the course that like Texas's home course is beautiful and we wouldn't be able to get on there without him. So like Ohio state has the scarlet and the gray courses. Yeah. Just so nice. Yeah. So he would get us on and the only way, for it to be fair is for him to play left-handed. So he would play golf with left-handed clubs. And listen, this guy is on the golf team. I'm not telling you that he was like some sort of uh, you know, D1 champion. He was not. He was a, he was good enough to get on the golf team at Texas. He beat me by 20 strokes left-handed. 20 strokes. So he's shooting like 80 left-handed. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You know there was the you're familiar with the odd couple, the movie and the TV yeah. show. So in the odd couple, you may have remembered the episode. Bobby Riggs was on the odd couple, mm-hmm. uh, famous um, shyster gambler uh, did lose to Billie Jean King. There, yep. By the way, there's there's a lot of talk that he dumped that match. Everyone talks about, oh, this was a great step forward for like like women's sports and everything. Mm-hmm. When because after Bobby Riggs beat Margaret Court, you know, then Billie Jean cleaned his clock. There's a lot of talk that maybe that match... It was fixed? Well, let's just say Margaret Court was as good as Billie Jean, and she got smoked, Margaret Court, and Billie Jean beat Bobby Riggs' company. So maybe Bobby Riggs, who's like a clutch performer, just suddenly had one of his worst matches of his life. Huh. Hmm. Um, Nevertheless, I digress. Bobby Riggs is playing... um, I believe he has a bet against Oscar in ping pong, okay, that he can beat him, and he's going to spot... But he's going to give Oscar, like, 17 or 18 points. Well, as they cut to it, he's not playing with a paddle anymore. He's playing with various things, like he's playing with his shoe. You get the idea. And a couple other... I can't remember the episode. Yeah. No problem beating Oscar, whether he's using a shoe, a paddle, or, you know, like, cymbals. It doesn't matter. Yes. Musical instruments, good. Well, I will this this next story is a little more embarrassing. Um the when I was literally prepping for my very first MMA fight, I was in great shape. I I'd been I'd been sparring pretty hard. I was feeling good. And my coach was from Brazil 
uh, from an old gym. I like that. From an old gym called Shoot to Box, who was like some of the original like badasses in MMA were all from this Shoot to Box team, and um, sometimes the, the, his his old teammates who some, some many of them were famous like Shogun Hua and Vanderlei Silva would come to our cyborg. Uh, it, it, they would come to our gym and train, and of course they were all better than us, but they they would teach us a lot of things. Well, when I'm in this fight camp. A lady named Christine Cyborg, Chris Chris Cyborg is her name. There's two. Her husband was named Cyborg, and she married him. She became Chris Cyborg. She was one of the best women fighters in the world. I thought Cyborg was a nickname. That, that, that it, it technically is. Her okay, last okay. name is Santos, but like I, I think okay. like everybody knew her as Cyborg. Right. She came in, and my coach had me spar with her. Ooh. Mind you, this this woman now she she you broke her nose. She weighed probably like because she wasn't about the fight. She when she fought, she fought at 145 pounds. So walking around, she probably weighed 160, 65. Okay. You know, she's not. She's just a big woman, a big yep. strong woman. We start and at this point, I'm probably 210, 215. Mm-hmm. I, I've got six or seven inches in height on her. Right. I wasn't really comfortable with the idea of sparring with a woman. Mm-hmm. He says, just do it. Just do it. We start sparring. We're wearing big gloves, 16-ounce right. gloves, you know, like uh, so nobody gets hurt, boxing gloves. I get knocked down in the, probably the first minute. Mm. And I'm thinking, I slipped. Right. <laughs> it had to be a slip. Mm-hmm. I get up. We keep going. She knocks me down again. And I'm like, uh oh, I think that time she really knocked me down. Right. She knocks me down a third time. I try to stand up and I like stumble forward and fall down again. Stop the match. Stop the match. I'm out. Like she she beat me up. I got beat up by a woman. Imagine what a silver somebody would do to you. I I mean, it would be embarrassing. But I mean, and granted, this is one of the like, if you made a Mount Rushmore of lady fighters, She's on it. So it's not like I, I'm embarrassed. I, a little bit embarrassed that it happened the way it did. And at the time, I was much more embarrassed because I'm thinking, all right, I'm about to go into a fist fight with a grown man. Of course, I can have a sparring match with a lady. Right. No, mm. did not did not go well. Very so, yeah. So beating a, a D3 tennis player, lady tennis player, it's not like that's nothing. You yeah. know, that, that, let's, like, let's see how he does against Serena next time. Probably not as well. Yeah. Probably not as well. All Although right. I do think he'd win the, the weight challenge against Serena. He, oh, <laughs> I'm not going there. Okay. So let's get into – I want to discuss with you the NFL win totals and how you come to your numbers. Like when, you, when you're preseason putting all this together, you say, I expect this team to win this much. Because one of the things that I've, I've really considered recently, and I, it's one thing to say, well, you got to look at off-season moves. That's obvious. How did a team draft? Did they get a, a free agent quarterback? What, you know, things like that that are, that are sort of obvious. And I, frankly, I rely on other people. I'm not sure. a player personnel evaluator. I mean, I got to look at pro football focus or someone else to tell me how good these guys are. Yeah. So my question is, and, and the, the example that we came up with is the Cincinnati Bengals. Last year, the Cincinnati Bengals, their, their win total was six and a half. They won 10 games. They make a run to the Super Bowl. They're, they're, I mean, their season 
the only way it could have been more successful was that they won the Super Bowl. They almost did that. So they exceeded all expectations last year. They were big, big overachievers. Their, their win total this year is nine and a half. Three-point jump or three-game jump. How much of it do you look at as saying, well, the Bengals overachieved last year. That's not what they really are. They, they are really this. They played over their heads versus – the market was just way wrong when they said six and a half. The Bengals really are this good and using that number. I think this is a case where the market was just completely wrong. The Bengals really were good. Why? Because Burrow is really good. And so this is the aberration. Normally, I'd expect quite a bit of regression from a team like the Bengals. Here's a case. I might argue the Bengals are going to be better this year than what they were last year because they their old line was obviously in shambles. Burrow was getting sacked seven times in the playoffs, but he was so good they still were winning. So the fact that they're lined at nine and a half with a much, much, much more difficult schedule this year, um, I think speaks volumes that the Bengals are the real deal and a very capable uh, team. But I think ultimately that schedule and having the bullseye on their back from all those playoff successes might do them in in terms of um, going, being able to exceed expectations. But frankly, they're a team, if I had gotten to my head nine and a half, I'd lean over. Okay. So uh, now is that every, like, but is it a team by team thing for you? It's completely a team by team um, basis. Most of the time when a team suddenly, you know, rises up, I would expect them to fall back down. Like the Raiders, right? Like the, the Raiders, great example. Raiders won 10 games last year. Overachieved. Overachieved. Their season win is at eight and a half. And so I would have bombed the Raiders under. But you know what? It's such an offensive league. And them picking up Devontae Adams, all of a sudden, my goodness, I could see the Raiders. That division is so loaded. You know, it's like I love the Chargers. I, I like the Raiders offense. I really like Russell Wilson. And who wants to bet against Mahomes? That's going to be a war. What What was the win total for the Cardinals going into last season? It was eight and a half. Okay, and they won eleven. Yeah, and and they're a team that they, the market doesn't believe in. So yeah. they would. We don't care that you won eleven. Um, your quarterback's not willing to run. If he's not willing to run, you're a five hundred team. We're gonna put it right back at eight and a half. You know, we don't we don't believe. Okay, so it is yeah. a team by team thing. I, I was... And Hopkins is suspended for six games. And guess yep. what? That's the only time you're any good is in September. Early in the season. Early anyways, and now you don't have your number one wide receiver. Well, I, I was curious how, how you got to those numbers. Let's go with a best bet in NFL win totals. Yeah, let's go Tampa Bay Bucks under 11 and a half. You know, no one's really talking about, I think, coaching downgrade. I mean, I, I, I don't care. I know R.J. Bags all the time on Arians and the like and that, oh, things are going to be better. I just I always had Arians in my top ten, no, not top ten. I always had him like in my second ten in terms of coaches, and it's just all the time we hear, oh, you know, this is going to be a seamless um, transition. I don't think that um, Brady can play until he's fifty. I think it at some point, especially with his receivers getting compromised, that um, that Tampa Bay offense is not going to be elite. Um, Tampa has to deal with a better Carolina team now. Uh, the Saints are going to certainly be capable. 
I know Atlanta's going to be terrible, but they don't. They get Atlanta week eighteen. That's a big disadvantage. Sure. So their so cupcake, one of their cupcake games, may not be a cupcake game because maybe they're already locked into a playoff seed. Tampa Bay under eleven and a half. Yeah, Todd Bowles. Listen, whatever you think of the guy and, and whatever you think of Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles has been a head coach in this league before and been a total disaster. And I, I don't know that Todd Bowles is going to be a total disaster again, but it, it certainly wouldn't shock me. If he was like, that wouldn't be, the, I mean, this is a guy who was like a, a 30, 35, 40% winner in his first head coaching job. That was a long time ago, but nothing about it says this is a clear upgrade. I, I, can, I can just see the fourth and two from the opponent's 42 and here comes the punt unit out. You know, it's just the, the things that just drive you crazy. And, and, and people are, are you, you think you can be smarter than an NFL organization? I'm like, well, of course they're complete idiots. There was a CFL game. I have to mention this. It was the Ottawa game last, last week where a team like has the ball in the red zone, the clock's running down under a minute. So obviously you take your time, you score a touchdown, you win. If not, you lose. And so they, I think it was Hamilton. I'm, I'm, it's all getting fuzzy to me, but they score too quickly. They score you know, um, with 19 seconds left, it was just like every clock management mistake known to man was just was just happening in that one game um, that uh, it was just frightening. And like, you know, the one team should should have been going slow and they were going fast. And the other team should have been using their timeouts and they weren't. And it just shows how backwards and don't even get me into college football where it's, oh, yeah. where it's just it, it, it's it's far worse in terms of the clock management. Horrible. Uh, McKenzie just put this up. Todd Bowles is a head coach. Thirty nine percent straight up. Forty eight percent ATS. So nothing positive. Yeah, the AD, the ATS is, you know, is really the key. And I could say, you know, the the. the 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 sharps don't think much of Bowles as as a head coach, so yeah. low expectations, and he's still slightly um, below the expectations in the ex, in, in the certainly the most talented over. team he's ever had though. Yeah. So and I mean, and, and we got to be willing to reevaluate. You know, we got to go ahead. I could be completely wrong. Bowles could be a very good coach. Sure. So don't don't have a preconceived notion and and stick with it. Evaluate as we go along. And a, a big part of being a good head coach, and and I'm a firm believer of this. You know what makes a really good head coach? Really good assistant coaches, yeah. oftentimes that you handpick, and I think what what does in a lot of uh, coaches that are marginal in the in the middle is they pick the wrong assistant coaches who don't give them the right information as to in terms of when to challenge, when to go for it, and the like. And that's where you wind up failing because you don't have a good support team around you. Well, there you go. That is going to do it for another Fezic Focus podcast. Welcome back from vacation, Fez. Hope that you are rested and ready to get to work uh, on the NFL. McKenzie, great job. Again, thank you for getting that uh, that bowl stuff up so quickly. Thanks to you guys for listening. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you guys showing up every week, listening, telling your friends. That makes it awesome for us. Oh, oh i got to give the people a, a promo code. What was I thinking? Giving away stuff again, huh? What was I thinking? Let's go with, hmm, what's a good code? Uh, let's go with Bahamas 20 Bahamas, B-A-H-A-M-A-S two zero Bahamas 20 will get you 20% off anything at pregame.com. Uh, Fez was just there on vacation, loved it. 
and you're gonna love you're gonna love getting these packages. Twenty percent off is all all access for football, uh, college football. We've got a combo package of Fez's NFL, my college, McKenzie's got his packages up. Whatever you're looking for, you can get it at pregame.com for twenty percent off with the promo code Bahamas two zero. All right, that's it. That's it for the show. Let's do it to them before they do it to us. We'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.